0: It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Hello everybody and how you doing? Welcome back to our podcast. Another great week out there in the real world. Lots of exciting things going on. People talking about unique things. Of course a couple issues. The war in the Middle East, of course, is taking the front page on everything, dividing people, everybody beginning to forget exactly where the historical roots of this war is. But you know what? That's not what we're here to talk about tonight. Tonight we're here to talk about the book of Ecclesiastes. We're here to talk about an old man looking back at his life, trying to decide what was good and what wasn't. Now, you know, there used to be a saying that people would often repeat. They would say, Everything in moderation. The problem is that they forgot to finish that quote. The real quote is everything in moderation, including moderation. Now, this quote has been attributed to every great speaker down through history, from Socrates and Benjamin Franklin to Voltaire and Oscar Wilde. But let me ask you a question. Is moderation the answer for everything that's going on in our world today? Do we go along to get along? Do we have just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of wickedness, just a teensy weensy any bit of nastiness, and that we just to say, hey, it's just part of being human. It's just part of who we are. Is that really the answer to solve all that's going on in our society, in our homes, in our families? You know what? Moderation is often the excuse that we give to indulge in something that we know is wrong. Let me say that again. Moderation, that term, that concept, is often the excuse that we give in something that is questionable, something that even we are not fully convinced is the best thing for us. But you know what? If you say, okay, it's good, but in moderation. Well, how much moderation is moderation? You know what? A little taste can't do you any harm, right? That's what they say. Just a little bit. And I think they're going to get that today from where we are in Ecclesiastes. But I say this to you. Even so, there are two compromises that you must not, as a believer in Jesus Christ, ever make. Two compromises that you cannot allow into your life if you're going to keep your life going the direction you want to go. We are still in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to pick up at verse 15. The first compromise you must not make as a believer is this. Don't compromise your God-given god given Ethics. Your God-given ethics. As a Christian, you have God's manual for what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and not as, and not acceptable. Now, everything in our day and age wants us to change that. I've even seen that there are some things going on in some of the major world religions that is trying to say, you know what? We have to take what was true in the past. We have to change it to fit the world in which we live. And I say hogwash you can't change God's word. Ecclesiastes 7.15. In my futile life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who lives long in spite of his evil. Stop right there. I think we can all agree that we have known some people good, Godly individuals that were taken from this life, perhaps in their 20s or 30s or 40s, long before their usefulness to the kingdom was done. But let's not forget, it is God who gives us the day of our death as well as the day of our birth. The day you are born, the day of your death is already set. God simply gives you an undetermined length of time in which to live your life, to serve him, and to be that mechanism for change in those lives that are around you. So, you know, it says there is a a righteous man who comes to a terrible end in spite of his righteousness. There's a wicked man who lives long, long after the time when he should have been dispensed with. It says in verse 16, don't be excessively righteous. Consider that term. This is a man who had a thousand marital partners, and he gave each one of those women their own God, their own altar to sacrifice on. They allowed them to bring into the temple, into the very house of the king of Israel, the wickedness of foreign Gods. So this man says, don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Now he has hinted in the past that too much wisdom can make you sad. And we agree, having a knowledge of God's word, knowing what's going to happen, know what's going on in the world right now can make you a little sad, but it can also be the motivation that gets you out there to get things done. Verse 17 again, don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Foolish actions can end your life early. It is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand. Now, wait a second. That sounds like you're trying to grab two objects at the same time. They always say that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush because in your hand you actually possess it. But if you're grasping for two different things, I believe the old English parable says, the man who chases after two rabbits going two different directions winds home with nothing for dinner. And that's the truth. If we're chasing everything, every concept, every idea, every God, if you will, every concept for how the world came into a being, then we're going to wind up with nothing. And the Bible goes on and says this, for the one who fears God will end up with both of them. He's saying, what? So the man of God will grasp at the wicked and the foolish and the wise and the good? That doesn't make any sense, but it fits the man who... Who's saying it? It fits the man who had lived his life trying to grasp both the world and the things of God. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. Wisdom makes the wise man stronger than 10 rulers of a city. Here's the first clear wisdom we see in this reading tonight Wisdom makes a wise man stronger than 10 rulers of a city. How is that possible? Because the wise man knows what not to get involved in, what not to busy himself with, with with what he should not preoccupy his time with. He says in verse 20, there is certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Now, wait a second. He's making a statement here. There is no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins, because all men have sinned to come short of the glory of God. We know that. We know that when God was looking throughout the earth in the days of Job, he said, you know, there is none righteous, no, not even one who pursues after God. So he's just stating a truth. But in verse 21, he says, don't pay attention to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. So he's kind of saying, turn a deaf ear to what's going on. But see, a wise man will listen to a rebuke. A wise man being told that he's acting in an unwise fashion can change his course of action, change his decisions. The kings of Israel had prophets to speak to them the things of God. And when they listened, they prospered. But when they did not listen... They did not prosper because they chose not to listen what the people were saying to them. Now, if we want a good um, look at this from the New Testament perspective, we can go to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Not one understands, and not one seeks for God. Okay, so here we have in Romans this true wisdom. All men are sinners, and that's why they need a savior if a man could be good enough for god without the death of the savior then jesus would not have to have died but all men are sinners no man can come before god on his own righteousness his own good deeds his own human perfection no one can do that and that's the starting point for christianity everyone thinks that christians think they are better than everybody else wrong Christians understand that without the blood of Christ, we are doomed. We are doomed without Jesus because there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. As surely as we bless a man in the morning, we can curse another in the afternoon, and then the judgment of God is against us. So that's why this Romans passage is so important. It kind of goes along with what Solomon is trying to say, but it gives it a a cleaner, more biblical perspective. It says, No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues for deceit. The venom of asps is under their lips. And if you've ever had someone... Take a dislike to you and then talk to your friends. You know what the venom of asps feels like. It feels like a stab in the back. It says their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Please, church, underline that. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what's happening in our world today. In our world today, there is no fear of God. There is no idea that whatever we do, we have to answer for. We believe that we're born, we live, we die, we become worm food. And that that type of thinking makes us go after anything we want to at any cost to enjoy the days of life that we have. Very much like Solomon was saying, you know, that every day, everything is futile, going after this, that, the other thing is futile. So just go out there and have a good time and die when you die. That is not a good way to live through life. That's a terrible compromise on what the word of God teaches. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The purpose of Christianity, the purpose of the Bible is to show us all that we are guilty before a holy God and that God has given us a way out of our guilt, not just to turn a blind eye to it, but to cause us to see our guilt, our our guiltiness for what we are, for what we have done, for what we have said and not said. And the whole point of being a Christian is you are messed up. You are a sinner before God. Then you come to Christ. Now you're not a super saint. You're not one of these perfect people that never messes up. We already dealt with that. what you are is a person who lives in gratitude to the God who saved you, who brought you back from all of that. The Bible finishes up in Romans by saying, "For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The Ten Commandments is not made to write, is not made to make us righteous." It is given to us to show us our guilt so that we will seek the forgiveness that we need for the things that we do wrong. And that's the whole thing that Solomon should have gotten. Solomon was wise enough to know that, you know what? you can grab the good. You can do the righteous and you leave the the wicked alone. You leave the evil alone because it's an affront to the God who showed you the right thing to do. When you do the wrong thing, there were sacrifices. There were offerings that were meant to show you the pain that you had caused God, the, the financial loss or whatever it happened to be. But you were shown this so that you would understand the depth and the cost of what you were doing. And it was made to make you feel guilty so that you would repent and return. Today, we want to live in a world that is guilt-free. We want a world where nobody makes us answer for anything. We want a, a world where I can say anything about myself, and you have to accept it. You have to agree with it. I've had these conversations on the campus at the University of Houston, and I learned so much from people by what they don't know, by what they think they know. And my job is not to Beat them over the head. It's not to scream and yell at them. That is That does no good. What we do is we simply present to them a truth that there is a separation between us and God and that God has solved the problem. We don't have to. We don't have to solve the problem that's already been solved. So the very first thing you see, don't compromise your ethics. If God shows you a thing is right, do it. If God shows you through his word that something is wrong, don't do it. If you do slip into it, come to God in full repentance, showing him that you understand you were wrong and that you want to become right again. And it says in in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us those sins, to cleanse us of that unrighteousness and restore that relationship with God. So that's a compromise. You cannot make it. It's a compromise Solomon Solomon made all too much. The second compromise you don't want to make is this. Don't compromise your first love. If you were with us when we did the entire study on the book of Revelation, you know those words, your first love. The church was praised because it was doing the right works, but it had lost the proper motivation. We don't go out there and share God's word or the love of Christ to like win spiritual tick marks on our belt. We're not like, we're not like spiritual gunfighters trying to win these battles with people. We're out there for the love of our God, doing it because we love him and because we want people to recognize who he is and what he has provided for the world. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 23. I have tested all of this by wisdom. He means to human wisdom, human reasoning, not by the wisdom of God, but by the wisdom that he himself had come to prize over his very long and disappointing life. I resolved, I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? See, he's, he's despairing when all that he needs has already been explained in the Bible. It's been shown to him. He just can't accept it because his mind won't accept it. I turn to my thoughts to know, explore, seek wisdom, and an explanation for all things. First of all, God doesn't tell you everything. God tells you what you need to know to be faithful and to walk in a relationship with him. You will never have an answer to every question that you have until you stand before the Lord of glory and he makes it known to you. That's not going to happen in this life. That's in the world to come. So he sought an explanation for all things, and to know what wickedness is, stupidity and folly is madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart is a net, her hands are chains. The one who pleases God will escape her. Wow, this is a huge recapitulation of the book of Proverbs. Some of which were written by Solomon and these Proverbs were written to teach people how to live their lives. It seems that right here, he at least goes back and remembers what he has said before. He remembers that wisdom that that God had given him. The one who pleases God will escape her, it says, but the sinner will be captured by her. By her, he doesn't mean an actual woman. He means an earthly philosophy, a philosophy that is generated by people to give themselves a way to live their lives to their own desires. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Look, says the teacher, I have discovered this by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation which my soul continually searches for. Now, wait a minute. Why is his soul searching for wisdom when God has already shown himself to be the all-sufficient one? He's shown himself through the Torah, through the law of Moses. He has seen how to live. He has seen it in his father David, even in David's mistakes, which God brought him through and restored him from. But he's he's seen it. But now he's suddenly seeking for something else because he's done so much that God told him not to do. So it says this, I have discovered this by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation which my soul continually searches for, but does not find among a thousand people I have found one true man. I always wondered who that one true man, was he talking about himself or someone else? I have found one true man, but among all these, I have not found a true woman. Here you go again. A man with like 700 wives, 300 concubines, all of them probably upset with him most of the time because he'd become old and grumpy and crabby and he had uh, cheated on, on, on the Lord by going after a thousand different false gods. So he's not, never found a true woman because he blames the women for him pursuing false gods when he's the one that made the choice to pursue the false gods. He says in verse 29, Only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. Ah, here we go back to the original problem, the original goof. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was deceived. Satan wove a tale for her that she believed. Now notice, it says that the woman was deceived, but Adam flat out sinned. Adam knew better. Adam knew what he was doing was wrong. Adam waited for Eve to taste the fruit and watched her, and he's looking, and she didn't drop dead. So he figured, okay, so God must have uh, overstated the case. Adam did the greater sin by following his wife rather than following the Lord. And that needs to be you know, clearly said. The woman was only deceived. Man out and out sinned by disobeying God. If we want to take another example from this, we can go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 7, 18 through 27. Here we go. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. This is the harlot. This is the philosophy of the world. This is the temptation of all things bright, beautiful, glittering, all of this false imagery that he wraps up into the, into the picture of a prostitute standing in the street, calling out to men, Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home again. So this woman knows when her, her husband will return. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Here's the thing. Pursuing the world, pursuing pleasure, pursuing anything outside of the bounds that God has set for you is rushing to your own death. The whole opening of Proverbs is nothing but warnings against following the world, chasing the world's philosophies, chasing the world's explanations for everything. And now he says this, listen to me. Now pay attention. He's talking right to you. He says, listen to me, O sons, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, Sheol being, of course, the place of the dead, going down to the chambers of death. Wow, he is just being so strong and saying, everything the world wants to throw at you is going to drag you down solomon knows this he is speaking from experience he's telling them what he has been through by serving all these false gods serving all these people who are not god's people all these people who wanted so much from him and they say give us altars give us places to worship make us happy please us and you know we're your wives you have to listen to us the world is going to want you to fit into their mold to fit their standard this week i've seen so many videos online. Uh, People are saying, hey, you have to call me by this name or this pronoun. You have to agree with my way of seeing the world. You have to accept my concepts. You have to agree that there is no one way to God that always go to God. You have to agree with me that aliens are actually the ones who put us on this planet. You have to agree with me and use the terminology that I use that I can accept so that I won't be angry at you. And I'm, I'm really weirded out by it. I really don't know how we got to this place where we have to meet everybody else's expectations, but nobody is expected to accept ours. Everybody will accept every other argument out there in the world. But if you try to say, well, the Bible says nobody wants to hear it. Everybody wants to shut it down. In looking at everything we've said tonight and looking at everything that has been put down in the word of God, I am just convinced that we need to look at the attitude that Solomon had. And we've been doing this over over the last few weeks. And that knowing that Solomon had the best start possible. He had the best beginning. He had the blessing of God. He had the wisdom from God. He had God's seal of approval. But because he allowed the world's philosophy, the world's wisdom, the world's teachings to interrupt what he knew to be true, he began to question what he knew was right. Let me ask you a question, church. Let me ask you a serious reflection. I believe we come to a day and age when we have to know our faith is our own and not just something that we were given as children. What separates us from a child is the child accepts what they believe because their faith is untested. If we're going to get through this life, if we're going to avoid the mistakes that Solomon made, we're going to have to go back to being what Solomon taught us early in his life. Stay away from earthly wisdom. Stay away from the types of philosophies that ensnare, that catch, that drag you into an Epicurean, a hedonistic lifestyle, which is so prevalent today because people are trying to find meaning. They're trying to find connection, but they're doing it in a way that is ultimately destructive of their own individual personality. I encourage you this week, walk through the world with your eyes wide open. Look at the people around you. Look at what they say and then look at how they live. Look at what they say they believe and then look at what they actually do. The thing that will keep you going in this life is that you know if you pay attention to what's happening then you yourselves will become firmly convinced that the word of God is absolutely true, that Solomon's attitude only came because of his neglect of his relationship with God. So this week I challenge you, keep your eyes open, church look around you, see what's happening, see if people are really happy, see if they are really set free by these philosophies that they have embraced, and then you will know what you need to do to maintain your relationship with God. It's been great being with you today. I just ask you to pray for us, pray for this ministry, because we're trying to reach people who are oftentimes are hardened against the words that we say. They're hardened against the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we live in a day and an age, and in a world where the media is fighting against Christianity, fighting against the gospel, fighting against the Bible, trying to dismiss it and do away with it. If you look at the internet, there's a dozen articles today saying that the church is dead, the church age is over, people have left the church, and they have forgotten God. It's not true. Those of us who believe in God are still out there. We are still fighting. We are still preaching. We are still sharing. And I want you to be part of that ministry. The most important thing that you can do with what you hear in this podcast is take it out there and use it as you you interact with the world that is around you. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he give you someone to minister to today. And all this I pray for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it could be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S T I D H A M, Richard Stidham at Box thirteen twenty one. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day, God bless, and remember, keep looking up, our salvation is drawing near.